Okay. So this afternoon, I'm uh, I'm privileged to have Tom Siri um, on the the podcast in line with us. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Tom is basically a household name in aesthetic surgery, not only nationally but internationally. And I remember. Uh, he's the founder and CEO, so he's not just a CEO. He started this company, Real Self, um, and anyone in the, in the aesthetic space knows that name. But um, I, I remember, Tom, when you used to sling a backpack at the meeting about 15 years ago. I think you had a leather backpack. Is that right? I don't look good in leather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you had a little leather backpack, and he was always a quiet guy that just uh, wandered the halls and... Um, Obviously, made big out of it, but um, you know, I, I, I want to just uh, check in with him today. He's got a fascinating story. Um, you know, most people who know me know I'm a physician, but I, I'm, I've always been fascinated. Um, you know, not just with entrepreneurism, but business in general. And uh, I, I, I'm fascinated because it is not easy. Uh, it's not easy to do. Um, you know, what Tom, Tom has done. Um, his background is uh, he actually grew up very uh, close to where I am sitting right now. Right, Tom? In Schenectady? Or, and, and I think you told me Niskayuna at one point. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere around. That's there. right. That's right. Um, you're, you're in my home is, turf. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, as Tom Dom did his uh, undergrad, I think, in Drexler, right? In, in University of Washington, you got your MBA. Or do you have two MBAs or something? I think I read at one point. Yeah, I went to a lot of school. My wife was worried I was going to become a full-time student. So um, eventually, <laughs> I, I eventually got a real job, but nothing compared to a, a doctor and what you went through. Yeah, uh, yeah you're awfully modest. Um, so so tell me a little a bit about, because you know, your story is fascinating. I know you worked for Expedia for a while. Um, and then, um, you know, you can tell the story. I know Krista, your wife, was looking for a procedure and you, you were frustrated because you, you know, you, you could see there was a lot of information that was out there on, you know, TripAdvisor and trying to figure out where you could stay, but nothing for, for medicine. But, but tell me how, I'd like to know a little bit about your upbringing, bringing, what led you into this field, um, you know, and, you know, and then I want to hear a little bit about you know, it's uh, the brave move you made, uh, you know, raising, you know, $40 million of capital and starting Real Stealth in 2006, because that's, that's a very gutsy thing to do. So I know that's a lot right there, but uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on your program. And, um, and I did read your book ahead of time, The, the White Coat Entrepreneur, <laughs> and I, I loved it. And there's so much sage advice in there. I feel like, you you know, you're, you're an educator and, and somebody who I who I've long admired and since I've, since I've, I've met you. So thank you again for having me. Um, sure. No, thank you. My, my story of um, entrepreneurship <clears throat> probably did begin at, at childhood and growing up um, right down the sh- sort of, so to, so to speak the street from where you were located. Um, you know, I've, I've always had this um, yearning to sort of, um, I guess there's an independent streak of trying to do things a little bit differently than everyone else. And to maybe the chagrin of my parents, <laughs> you know, the one who kind of zigs when everybody else is zagging. Um, my, uh, my path of getting to where I am today probably was most instrumental was I, I was working for a computer company in Philadelphia um, as my, one of my first, if not first real job out of college. And um, it was based in Phil, you know, the Philadelphia area, which isn't really known for entrepreneurship. And I was reading that in the Wall Street Journal um, that there were secretaries, or now they're called admins, but uh, admins who were retiring from Microsoft at age 30 and buying second homes in a place called the San Juan Islands um, outside of Seattle. And I said, wow, they must pay those people incredibly well. And, and the article went on to talk about stock options and they were provided with stock options. And I was like, hmm, I don't know what that is exactly. I've heard that concept somewhere. I looked it up and I realized that company, some companies consider their employees um, like owners and give them an opportunity to, to um, celebrate in the upside and, and be aligned to the shareholders and trying to create value and wealth. Um, so I realized I was just a sort of a cog in a machine and just a number in this, this company in the East coast. And I just decided I'm going to move, you know, head West young man. And I moved to Seattle and, um, my girlfriend, um, was working, um, for Merck, um, up in, 
in, in Pennsylvania as well. And I told her I was moving, packing up my Honda Civic and drive across country. And she said, sure, I'll join you. And so that began my sort of pursuit of sort of being in a more entrepreneurial supportive environment. And I was very fortunate, as you allude to, joining Expedia in the very early days and being surrounded by those entrepreneurial-minded individuals and being inspired by them and, and seeing how they created value and took risks and rewarded um, people for taking chances and, and not punishing them if, if they in, um, encountered failures. Anyway, so that's kind of a, a sh- short but longish way of expressing how I got to um, being, becoming an entrepreneur and at least getting on that pathway. Got it. So, um, so that's how you ended up in Seattle. That was my Seattle route, and uh, um, came here, and then I realized, uh oh, <laughs> I got to find a job. And um, I was introduced to actually, I found a a role at a startup, and um, it happened to to be a company that um, Microsoft um, acquired um, as part of their Expedia. Um, team, which Expedia used to be part of Microsoft, and it, the the company was spun out while I was an intern, and then I I joined their their team when there was about 100, 125 people, which seemed really big at that time. But um, you know, now today I think they're ten thousand employees or something. Mm-hmm. So that was that was it, and then the path of medical aesthetics seems pretty orthogonal to that. I, I recognize and. I've been asked a lot of times, like, are you a doctor or did you want to be a doctor? And I think I would have made my mother proud if I had become a doctor. Um, but um, uh, the, the the inspiration was, as you just referred to, my we, we had acquired TripAdvisor as part of the Expedia family of companies. Um, I was so enamored by what they were doing for consumers, empowering us to make smarter decisions about how we spend our vacation time so we don't show up and discover that what the brochure says is completely different than what the experience is. We've all, we all know what that means. Um, my wife was uh, talked about how she was introduced to this idea of getting her face um, laser treated. And I thought that was very odd that you would burn your face off to look prettier. That to me that caught like, sort of like, huh, that's a strange concept. And she <clears throat> um, mentioned that she was handed a brochure by the practice but she didn't believe anything in it. And so for me, the light bulb was, well, that's what travel agents used to do in travel, you know, give you that, tra- you know, travel agents, for those of old enough in your audience to remember those people, they were, they would give you a brochure, you would go there and have a sort of disconnect from what was shown. Um, and I was like, well, what would my wife find online? Cause that's where I think anybody would go to get informed about um, these sort of elective type treatments. And the number one site at that time that I could de- detect was a, a forum called yestheyarefake.com. And I, I kid you not, that was the name of it. And the next one was called makemeheal.com. And as I looked through the lens of my wife and, and anyone like her, I realized that content was not presented in a way that was any better than the brochure. It was actually kind of scary because it was dominated by people who have had like 26 procedures and they're sort of uh, and poorly organized information. So I said, oh, this is interesting. I'll, maybe I should make a business about bringing a TripAdvisor-like experience to this category that maybe someday will be pretty in, impactful and, and larger in the world than, than it was at that time. So how did you start Real Self? I mean... Yeah, um, I think you mentioned, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of naive naive nature that goes into uh, an entrepreneurial person, like, meaning like we take a lot of, we, we have a lot of self-confidence and to, to almost to a fault, we believe in almost our ideas. Almost to a fault. No yeah, we, we believe in our ideas so much, we kind of ignore what the data would show, which is most startups completely fail, um, that um, you your, your assumptions you're making are unfounded. There's no science to back up what you're doing. Um, so... I think my my first step going in was sort of this um, strong belief in myself um, that I attribute to my mother and my upbringing, um, and my dad. I should give him I should discount his his influence, but um, so strong self confidence. Um, <clears throat> they must be pretty proud of you now, right? I mean, are they still in this area? Or no, they actually moved to Seattle, so they're they? um, 
several blocks away from my house actually here nice. and uh cool. yeah the whole family uh lives in the puget sound region now my, my sister included so um schenectady we only get like <clears throat> little bits of of uh yeah. input from friends who still live there and reside there um <clears throat> but entrepreneurship um and getting down that path uh of, of starting the company i was very fortunate at expedia to have also um confidence that i kind of understood the makings of how uh a company comes together and and, the, and where how important talent is um because it's less about the product it's more about the team and so no i and i built a great uh, network of individuals there who um went on beyond expedia now have started amazing things like zillow and glassdoor and these other companies and so um I think there's that that self confidence mixed with uh, um, the seeing people firsthand who are entrepreneurs and how they mm. execute um, helped. I also um, made a little bit of money on the stock so I could sort of self fund um, yep. the first the period, and then um, the big breakthrough for me was I had started the the prototype out of my spare bedroom of of real self, and then. My the founder of Expedia and the former CEO um, Rich Barden um, called me, and he had started Zillow with his um, with with another person from Expedia. Um, and he said, "I see what you're doing, and it fits right into my investment thesis, which is power to the people. And this idea of like bringing information to consumers so we can make better decisions and have transparency in places that normally don't offer it." He said, well, he goes, Tom, this is kind of a weird way of, of, of fitting into my thesis, but um, I like it. And if you want investment in it, I'd be happy to consider that. So he became my primary investor. I raised $2 million on two different financing rounds with him and some um, local entrepreneurs and, um, and some people in Silicon Valley. Um, very fortunate. One of the investors also was the the person who brought Jeff Bezos to Seattle to start, um, and was the mm-hmm. was the first investor in Amazon. So these people who are used to taking pretty high risk and and looking for high yeah. reward. So anyway, that's that that helped fund the the starting point and the, my ability to actually pay real salaries. Yeah, got it. So there, uh, I read out there that you. Um, in your early days, I'm sure now with a couple couple boys at home, you don't do it as often, but you used to like to travel alone. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I mean, is that, because I, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, I've always been intrigued by and maybe wished I had the guts to, to travel alone. Um, but you, you alluded to some of the lessons that you learned at traveling alone. Is that is that misinformation or is that something I just picked up somewhere? Yeah, I. I, I've said that, um, I have said that in the past, and I do believe some of my best experiences in life, while I, I do enjoy community and family um, and companionship, um, I love how the, the act of actually traveling somewhere that's un, maybe uncomfortable and putting you in an uncomfortable situation of having to communicate people outside of your bubble, outside of your, mm-hmm. your echo chamber it just introduces a whole world of what the the culture of that area is really like, what the people, how they, how they um, live their lives. And I just did a little bit of that um, uh, type of travel to India. But I, when I was in college, I did a a self trip to the Middle East, um, to Egypt, um, Jordan. And I, I, I just found that to be, you know, Schooling is one way of getting educated, but I think discovering the world and all the things outside of where you were raised um, is is even a more tremendous way to get insight. So, if if anything is similar to you and me, maybe is and to your your listeners um, who are physicians, is I'm a consummate learner, and I think the your learning curve is at the steepest when you're the most uncomfortable, and I think you're most uncomfortable when you're when you're alone on a on a trip. Yeah, <laughs> can be. No, I- yeah, I'm, I mean, I 
so I have a friend of mine who is a CEO of a publicly traded company and eventually, you know, sold his options, left it, exited and did, exited and did really well. And he said, you know, he worked for, um, worked for GE for a number of years as an engineer, four or five, and he quit his job and he traveled, he traveled with a buddy of his. And after a few months, it didn't work out. Um, and he spent the remaining year traveling by himself. And he attributes a lot of, I mean, exactly what you're saying. That's why I find it fascinating. I mean, in our training, we get stuck in the educational process for so long that it's not, that it's not like something you can do. And by the time you get out, you have so much responsibility, financial and otherwise you, you don't. But I found that fascinating. I mean, we have to force, as I tell my fellows, you know, constantly have to push yourself in your, you know, beyond your comfort zone or you're never going to innovate. You're never going to get any better. You're just going to you know, settle into your training, what you've been trained to do. But I did find that fascinating. And if I had to go back and do it over again, I, you know, it's not something I'm comfortable with, although I'm not a wimp. I can, I, I would, I, I think that is really wise advice for someone who can do it. Um, Especially, you know, be you learn how, like you said, you learn how to communicate with people. You learn how to, you know, get along. Uh, one of my friends who did it said I was shocked at how many how giving people were. Who, who people would just bring me in, um, who didn't who didn't know me, and um, right. he was someone who was actually kind of shy. Um, and you know, some that was a big lesson that he learned. So, um, so I. One of the things I found fascinating when I started to you know, research, you and I have a few things in common. Um, one of them, and, and you know, you can't fake results. And I think, like I said, the, the company that you've grown didn't, didn't just happen. Um, you know, for anyone who runs a business, you realize, I realize how hard it is to do that and keep people happy. You have a few, but one of the things that you have in, in common, I'm, I'm somewhat of a leadership freak, leadership geek, if you want to call it that. And, and I think recently you were just awarded, you have a, a zero gender gap, which is pretty impressive at Real Self, right? That's right. Um, and uh, maybe you can explain, you know, what that is for people that don't know. But I've read, you know, about the way you keep your office and the way you, uh, you know, you, you're you're not stuck in a corner somewhere. You, you wander around with your people. And I was very impressed with some of the things I heard from your team. They were, they were heartfelt. I could tell it was not somebody that was just staged. Um, so, you know, You've obviously proven yourself there. You you have this quiet leadership that people want to follow. What kind of pearls would you offer or give up to somebody um, who is trying to grow, uh, you know, grow a business, be an entrepreneur? Um, because I think that the word leadership is thrown around so loosely, um, and it is really hard to find um, what Jim Collins calls level five leaders, real leaders. So, you know, what advice, uh, Pearls, would you have? Yeah, those are very kind words. I, I feel like I have a lot to prove still, but... Um, Which I, I think is a lot of it right there, right? Yeah, humility. Um, you know, one, one of the best things, when I was starting up um, this company, I, I met with an entrepreneur and he said, you know, one thing you have to get ready for is that you're going to be served up giant... Um, slices of a humble pie on a daily basis and you better get a fondness for it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, because it goes back to the, all the assumptions you you're making tend to be wrong in different degrees of wrong. And so being comfortable being wrong a lot, but, but you know, you want to be right about many things, but you're going to be wrong about a lot. <laughs> so um, that takes just a personality type. That's why some people come to me who have business ideas and I look at them and I'm like, you don't have the right personality because you have to be comfortable with the fact you are going to see equal, if not more failure than success. Um, so I've made far more mistakes than positive like um, decisions that have worked out. Um, what's, been, what's been one of your biggest disasters disasters <sighs> you know usually i can attribute those to the wrong hires and i don't blame that person i hired you know they always talk about you know if you make one wrong hire to start up it could really tank the whole company i always like yeah 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 they say that in magazines and stuff, articles and stuff but truly um when you make the wrong hire the it's not just that person doesn't do a great job it if they are really terrible, 
the rest of the organization is looking at you for why did you make that decision? And um, what does that tell about you as the leader? Um, so I would attribute some of my worst decisions on rushed hires where I felt pressure. I need this role filled and I lowered my bar and went against my instinct, you know, and I'm sure doctors all over the place can. Think honestly, this is, this is why physicians are terrible at running a business because mm -hmm. we are fix it people. Okay. I need a patient care coordinator. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to hire someone. And, you know, Jack Welsh, Welsh always used to say, right, slow to hire, quick to fire. And, uh, you know, we date people for six months sometimes before we hire them. Um, but I learned that the hard way um, because, as you said, it's not just it, – it, it's it has so many layers to hiring. You know, it's the wrong person. Um, so how do you go about hiring your key people? Yeah, I've learned that, um, and maybe this comes with uh, a bit later stage of the company, um, but as time has gone on, I spend less time trying to fill real specific niche roles and look more for the, the potential of that individual and their talent and what they can bring, and then build a role around them. And, yeah. and I, you know what? I've heard that many, many yeah. times. It, you it, hire the right people and they just figure it out. Yeah. And, and so typecasting for very specific things like, oh, I need somebody who does A, B, and C. I've actually said it to doctors, like as an example, they'll say, I need a social media person. And I was like, well, here's what you should do. Don't hire somebody who calls himself a social media guru that like on their resume. And, and you want somebody who knows science and date and math. And so give them a math problem. And do they have the scientific method to how you experiment on places like Instagram and find out what works and what doesn't. And that, that curiosity that an individual has, has to be there as well. And that intellectual curiosity being more important than the proof point that they've done it somewhere else. Another mistake is people who I've hired who think that because they did it at a certain organization, a certain model, they should apply that model everywhere they go. And we're a very different organization, just like your practice is likely very different from the person um, in another city or down the street. And so that idea of, um, you know, forking in something that uh, worked elsewhere is not, uh, not something I'm looking for. So when I look for individuals, I look for that sort of intellectual curiosity, that flexibility of how they apply their learning. So what did they learn from their past? And then on top of that, they have to have passion in something. I mean, if I just always ask that question, what are you passionate about? Um, and if they can't come up with anything, then I'm sort of quickly showing them, okay, this is over. Um, because uh, something has to drive you besides, I'm here to get a, a paycheck and, 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 and get benefits for my family. Um, for a company like ours. Now, there's plenty of companies where just you know, you know, show up, punch the ticket, so to speak, get your, get your paycheck. But we have just too much ambiguity, too much stress, um, too many things are broken at the same time. To and, and so much more is, needs to be known. We know less than we need to know at all times. So, um, so those are some of the things I, I think that yeah. I've learned over time, and I still haven't got it perfect. But I love my team that we have here today, and we have uh, what two hundred and ten people. And um, I always say to my wife. There's not a single person on my team who I wouldn't welcome into my home for a dinner to spend time with. Um, and I'm sure if with your practice, I've met some of your practice um, team at different conferences and they're equally individuals who are just um, radiate that sort of um, confidence in their role, but also good people. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think uh, I, I feel very strongly about the people we have. I love our team. And yet I'm always discouraged when I hear so many of my colleagues, they, they just they complain about their, you know, they hate their staff. They hate, you know, and uh, what they're not willing to do is look in the mirror and say, you know, maybe I'm the failure there because, um, uh because they're, you know, anyway, so any other, you know, what other, what other pearls? I mean, I, I obviously, you know, we're, we're, we agree there. I mean, who you surround yourself, who you select, who to bring on your team is, is going to 
determine who, you know, how you move forward and having the intestinal fortitude to have that difficult conversation when things aren't working out. I think that's another, another failure I see with, with my, my friends and colleagues and things aren't working out. Um, No one wants to have that conversation and, um, but you have to, in all fairness to the rest of the team. I Um, totally agree. And that's, uh, and that's a, that's a difficult thing, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of being part of growing your company because if you're a hot mess, you're never going to get out of, you're never going to get out of the gate. Yeah. You know, you, you're sort of circling around um, a concept that in the tech world has been well-documented by Google and research they've done around creating an environment of psychological safety and how by doing that, by creating a place where people can be their most authentic selves and have authentic conversations where they're very direct and can say precisely um, what's working, what's not, not individual attacks, but more like, Hey, here's something that's not going right. Or a decision that we need to go back to, like, how did we end up down this path and being comfortable being wrong, um, and accepting that you don't know everything is, is the recipe for innovation is the recipe for satisfaction employees and for customer delight on the other side of it. So, uh, I've tried really hard at real self to, um, find a way to take fear out of the organization. And whenever I see fear creep back in um, through different forms, like I think our bonus program, for instance, I was just talking to my CFO, I think it introduces fear and I don't like it. And it's people are like, well, am I going to get my bonus or not? And what's it like, how do I know? And so like, well, what are we going to do about that? Because I do not like how that's disrupting or distorting the otherwise really good feeling of, I can show up and be my best self here at real self. And um, well, there's data, there's data to support that. I mean, when people are stressed or people are, um, they, they don't perform as well. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, when you, you know, when Michael Jordan takes a, you know, takes a three point shot and uh, there's two seconds left of the game, he's not thinking, Holy shit. If I lose his game, he's, he's, he's performing because he's having a great time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the same goes for, you know, for the people we surround ourselves. What are you most proud of, um, at real self? A couple of things. Um, I'm really proud of, I, I, I mean, it sounds sort of duplicate, duplicative of what we just talked about, but I'm, I'm most proud of the people who have chosen over all other organizations they could work at to work here and, 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 and accept me as their leader. And that just, uh, I'm personally proud of that. And I'm, I feel a huge amount of responsibility, but you know, I'm in a market where we're literally down the street from me is Amazon hiring as many people as they can find, um, that are talented, Google, Facebook, all the big ones are here. Um, so it's hyper competitive. And so I'm proud that we've assembled such an amazing talented team and, 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 pull people out of those organizations to come here. We just hired somebody from Amazon recently and they could, they've made more money and, but yet they see more opportunity and, and, and are more excited to, to, to be part of our mission and vision. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, a tough environment to, to be hiring Very anywhere. Um, and so you obviously are doing something, something right because people, uh, people don't stick around just for paychecks. Yeah, um, yeah. a lot more opportunity. Yeah. So, um, so tell me about your family. I mean, I, I know you have a wife, you have two boys, right? I have two boys, seven and eight, um, who are, uh, super clever and creative. And one is a little obsessed with money to a degree. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about his, his, um, orientation. I don't know how he got that way, but, uh, uh I've read that children at age seven, eight sort of have a, a strong orientation toward money, but, um, um, I assure you, my wife and I try very hard to show them a world that is um, not of hyper privilege and and mm-hmm. one where they um, you know appreciate everything they have, or at least try to get them to appreciate that. Um, no, well, I, it's it, it's it's actually not a bad thing to some degree as long as they're learning value, right? I mean, I but I always I have those conversations. I have four kids. I have those conversations. I always have those conversations when between 11 and like 13, 14, when they're in the car, you know, yeah. because you have, inf- you have influence. And I used to tell them that you know, a couple of things about money. It's uh, you know, no matter how much you have, you know, you always wish you had more. 
It never will make you happy. I know way too many people, uh, you know, and it's just, a, it's a way to keep score. But, um, you know, people who focus on it too much will have it. But I've seen way too many that are, and really that's the byproduct of doing a good job. And uh, it's just a game, um, that part of things. Um, what do you, what do you like to do? What's your passion outside of real self? What do you do outside? Of- uh, you know, it's funny. I, I have become, maybe it's like, so typecast that I would be this, but I, I've become a, an obsessed Peloton rider. <laughs> So, really. so I, uh, it, it just feeds my competitive nature and desire to be in shape. And, um, there's other surgeons who I am on the follow list and we were sort of semi competitive with each other too. So it's funny where there must be some, um, characteristic or quality about it that, um, attracts that type of people like us. Um, I, I, I still, I'm super passionate about travel um, and uh, I squeeze it in when I can. Like last year I went to Japan for a week skiing and, um, but I just came back from India and India actually ties to uh, one of my other really um, strong passions and something I'm very fortunate to be able to do, which is the giving back efforts that um, yeah. I tell me about it. You have a, you have an initiative, right? It's, it's uh, what's it called? It's re- yeah, we work with a, there's a, um, I work with many different nonprofits that are helping, um, and you, I'm sure, know very well about these programs through AFPRS and others, but um, which in these cases, they're programs that are trying to bring reconstructive surgical capacity or training to surgeons in developing and, and poor regions of the world. So, um uh, the one board I'm on uh, for this organization called Research International um, it happens to be one that Real Self also supports their efforts. So we just sent a surgeon from here um, in Washington um, to uh, be a visiting educator, as they call it, and train in hand surgery, um, a surgeon in northern India and a group of, of other um, uh, students on, on here's the latest, you know, here's the techniques and, and ways to, to go about these different, um, pretty, um, pretty complex cases, um, and kind of representations you don't usually see in the United States in terms of burns, accidents, uh, congenital deformities. Um, so that, that, um, that's really exciting for me to be able to, um, support the organization's um, Craig Marikami and uh, Sam Ose and several other uh, of your peers are part of another group. Um, oh, well, a couple um, dear friends of mine and just total gentlemen. Total yeah, gentlemen. and so I'm I've I'm supporting their um, trips to uh, their their next two year trips to Cambodia, and it just it feeds into um, this perfect storm of I'm passionate about global health as well as. Um, how can I take what I've learned here and apply it to good? And and part of my what I've learned here is building relationships with people like yourself and your peers, and um and recognizing that some individuals have the capacity to do humanitarian efforts, and I I, I want to support those. So one one of the initiatives here at Real Self is we're going to actually start um, d- increasing the rate at which we're talking about those those um giving back moments and humanitarian acts and um i believe we're building a whole like landing section of our site just to sort of showcase this um but that that's a passion area that sorry i, I probably went longer than you wanted me to on that no that's no, it's a, no it's all good stuff i mean we've all you know my uh afprs and a lot of my colleagues and even my buddies in asprs um you know have always been committed to doing that stuff sure. we have it in our own communities but uh you know, you're, you're not just measured by how much you take, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's important to, to do your share. Well, your, your talent, I, I, I don't think surgeons fully, um, I think they get so stuck in the business of day-to-day um, and maybe they don't appreciate their, how incredible their talent is and, 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 and can make such an incredible difference in a community that, um, where there's one surgeon for a community of millions of people, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I completely agree that um, I see facial plastic surgeons consistently doing things that are, are expensive out of their practice, but for the good of the world. And um, I think it's awesome. Then we share wow. that desire. 
kind of you to say that. I mean, you know, we feel that way about it. I think it's one thing. It's nice to have. Um, it is nice to have a craft where you can use your craft and and give. In my early days, um, before I could afford to travel and do those type of things, it, just even doing doing it in your own community. Um, and there are a lot of us. It's very gratifying, extremely gratifying when someone you know looks you in the eye and says thank you. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the reasons uh, that people like to do the mission trips as well is you you don't worry about you know malpractice. You don't worry about those things. You just have someone that says thank you, and uh, you know that that means an awful lot. And you know I I don't think most of us realize, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I don't think most of us realize how much the liability thing weighs on us until you do those things and you realize, wow, it's like, I don't worry about that stuff here. Um, anyway, so you you uh, made reference somewhere to, um, which I was curious, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos quote, was quoted once, as he was, his willingness to be misunderstood. And I think you made reference to that as it relates to real self. I would what did what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think Bezos was his his letters are just so incredible. His last one was even similar. Um, of like you know, look, you know, innovation, nothing. No one asked us to create Echo and 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 to create Kindle and create Kindle. Uh, sorry, uh, and Alexa. You know, those things come through their own internal ability to take big bets and, and make um, innovation really um, be a, at the forefront of their organization. So I, I've always had, inc- like most entrepreneurs, they have incredible um, at awe at what he's been able to accomplish with Amazon. It's just unbelievable. And, and for it's incredible. The, this, this, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, I don't think it, you can fully fathom it. Um, unless you've really seen the trajectory of where it started and how much wall street hated them and uh, till now. Um, and, um, you know, when I started real self, um, that idea of being misunderstood for long periods of time, what I've been doing is 13 years. So I checked the box for long periods of time and misunderstood. I, I, I think I mentioned this earlier in our conversation, but none of my friends in travel, my people who I hang out with, um, come from the world as aesthetics and medical aesthetics and they didn't understand it at all and why I would be interested in it. Like they just scratched their heads and, and, and frankly, some of my friends said, I just don't agree. And, and, and relatives said, I just think what you're doing is not good. I've had reporters tell me, actually I was cornered by a reporter at one meeting, um, not a meeting, but at an event here in Seattle. And he said, isn't what you're doing kind of, bad and i was like how so and he said well having helping people get work done um just doesn't seem right <laughs> so we started going down that, that that path of of like um judgment and who decides you know what what a person should do with their own body and face and smile um so i think that idea of um continuously not worrying about the the naysayers and um, being very res- resolute that I was onto something, which was helping people make smart, confident decisions is ultimately what it's about. And, and if real self and the work that you and your surgeons do can help a person build one step closer to a greater confident self, then we are making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And that, that has powered me on and, and beyond the, the negativity and the, the people who don't get it and, and frankly, I'm I'm just fine with it. Yeah. So I, I actually leads in something I wanted to ask you about. Now I know from the beginning you've always said you know your your mission is transparency, right? To shine light on things that are real and things that are not real, right? And if you talk about the future, I think you actually this morning you send out uh, you know Hey Siri, right? And you talked about the future and you talked about you talked about, um, you know, the, the challenges moving forward. And I got to tell you, you know, one of my big frustrations is, you know, I spent all the years at the podium, my commitment to the Academy. I wasn't looking for the attaboy. I never was. The first time I was asked to run for president, I turned it down. Um, you know, the humanitarian things, the things I published 
all of those things were done because they, you know, what I were considered the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, we, my generation, or, and I'm not just talking, talking about me as an old guy, right? But, but, but those of us who are a little older, um, you know, we see, you know, colleagues of ours who, ours who are out two years and they're now the world-renowned Beverly Hills. And it, it kind of turns our stomach. Um, it's like everything's a photo op. You know, I didn't give a talk at this meeting for another photo op. And yet, and the, the challenge and the thing that concerns me um, is that the younger generation, and I've trained 20 fellows now, so I, 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 I'm really, and I spent, I was today with residents. So I'm pretty connected to the younger generation, but I see the younger generation being trained that it's okay because that's how you get noticed and recognized. Mm-hmm. So. This has been, it, it kind of goes to what, you know, you sent out today here. Hey, Siri, um, on, you know, where the future is going in your challenges. One of the, and I want to ask you a question, because one of, um, when you guys, when you guys real self launched um, uh, Verify, mm-hmm. right? Is it real self Verify? Um, the social media aesthetic think tank blew up, not just the APRs, but a lot of the, and saying, you know, who is real self to quote, verify us now? You know, we have, we go through ACGME, we go through our, go through our accreditation. Um, what, how do you answer, you know, colleagues who say yeah. that's really transparency? You know, is that, is that even legit? And, and I know, uh, you know, one, someone who, uh, Susan, who works for me, she yeah. ran into you. You know, we have colleagues in our town who are quote verified and, and yet, uh, these are the same guys that were in the middle of, you know, federal lawsuit and settled for a half a million bucks when they were mm-hmm. using this Botox that was brought in from out of the country. So, I don't know. Did, yeah. Give me your thoughts on it. It's 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 great great context and thank you for um, tying back to my um, my content series because I, I I really do use it as a way to um, to hear feedback and learn from others versus just preaching. Um, one of the, one of the reasons that I don't think is clear, we've, we've done a very good job of communicating, um, about real self verified is that it, it didn't come about by some internal, like some people I saw in some thread were like, Oh, this is just sort of making money or something. I was like, what? In fact, we probably, for definitively lose money <laughs> on this because a doctor who can't be verified gets mad and says, I'm out of here and stop spending money with us. So it's not a money winner. There's no money winner situation going on. Um, the, the purpose was we kept deterministically de- de- finding from data, quantitative and qualitative over and over that there's a tremendous trust gap in this industry. There's a trust gap between consumers and doctors, and, and in particular, and I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. That. Yeah, and and it's not. I'm not, and I and don't lay that at your way. feet. By the way, I don't yeah. think it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think board certification has solved the problem. The the idea of um, putting after your name a certain coded letters like FACS or whatever, maybe. Um, you know, I think uh, you know, and your peers know definitively that the battle to get consumers to understand the differences between board certification. In fact, you guys are the ones who fought to be, right. you know, seen as a uh, one of the core. Um, you know, so you've been you've you've all been through it, and where the consumers and left in it all, while we're all sensitized to it, is they don't get it, and our research has shown over and over. Uh, they said, yeah, I know I should look for board certified. And then whenever we follow up with like, well, which board do you think you should go for? And we list them on a, a survey, something like 40% of the time, they pick the one that we just made up. We'll just make up a name, you know, board certified in cosmetic aesthetic specialization, <laughs> you know? So, so they don't know what it means. They don't know how to move forward. And you look at Allergan data and they talk about 30 million consumers sitting on the sidelines of aesthetics interested inclined have the resources but aren't moving forward to get procedures done why is that one of the biggest factors is they don't know where to go they don't know who to trust with their own face with their body 
And, and, and so while I would love to, to claim that our star ratings help, I think star ratings have become so commoditized that every doctor starts looking good. Every doctor has five stars. Every doctor has four and a half, something like, right. you know, if you don't have over four star rating on, on a major platform like Google or real self, then either you're not paying attention or you're really, really bad, <laughs> you know, like just truly bad. Um, and, or something's going on that it is, is outside the norm. Because I think if you looked across all major platforms for reviews, the average rating for a doctor is probably around 4.7. Right? We used to do this research across like Yelp and a bunch of other places, and it skews very high. So if everybody looks great and wonderful, and, and I can't figure out as a consumer what the heck this means, if they're certified by what board or what this board or that board, it comes down to, well, they ask us as, as an entity that sort of sits in between it all, help us understand ones that are, you know, have um, good standing with their uh, medical, you know, authorities that have a good star rating um, that are committed to um, a, a level of transparency that is commensurate with um, a platform like ours, which is about sharing information. And in no way, in shape or form, when we say a doctor's verified, are we saying they're the best? We're simply saying they check these boxes. And in the same way that good housekeeping seal doesn't mean that product is awesome, is going to be the best. What it means is they met a standard um, that the platform established. And so we're in no shape or form, and I respect your peers tremendously. In no way, shape or form, are we trying to second guess or or apply a different um, standard on doctors or whitewash or greenwash, whatever the right term, um, somebody mm -hmm. who isn't as qualified. It's not about qualification. It's about criteria of like, did they cross up through these, these um, areas? And, you know, frankly, I think our verification is a heck of a lot better than any other platform that I can point to like Yelp's Instagram's for God's sakes. Like, you know, let's argue about no, that I one. Understand. Yeah. You know, uh, that means like, that's just some nebulous, like if you share enough and get enough likes, is that what is denotes you as being, you know, higher trusted. Um, so in the end of the day, we do also put, we have forced, um, and I say forced, meaning the program requires that a doctor list their true board certification. And I have created a lot of un unhappy relationships of people who say, well, I don't want to be listed as a family medicine doctor on real self. Uh, that's I'm a cosmetic surgeon and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, sorry. Yeah. This is the way it is. So inherently we have always room for improvement, but in the end of the day, we've heard from consumers repeatedly who've seen this verification going, you know what? You saved at least some steps in the process for me and made my life a little bit easier to figure out doctors who, um, who check these boxes and they recognize that it doesn't mean they're the best or the greatest. Mm -hmm. So fair, fair enough. And I, you know, I, I share your sentiment. It's, it's a real frustration for me. And, uh, you know, as I look at, like I said, some of my colleagues that have been out a year or two and really can't have anything meaningful to say, but they're pushing their way into, you know, again, the world renowned, who, 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 who gave them that <laughs> designation? You know, they know somebody uh, in Australia, what anyway. Um, so, I want to respect your time and I really, really appreciate you taking, taking the time to get on. One last question. Where do you see, you alluded to this a little bit in here in Hey Siri, but where do you see the future? Um, you know, and any, any messages you have for physicians who are trying to do things the right way? Yeah, I, I was recently um, challenged at a meeting because I, I was sharing data around um, how algorithms control the world now and you know it's okay for you to feel um uncomfortable with with how technology is rapidly changing the worlds we work within um and how it's changing your patients um i, I have this chart that came from a thomas friedman um book about um an engineer at google created this chart which showed the rate of human adaptation has been um, eclipsed by the rate of innovation and technology for the first time in our, in our lives. So meaning, um, with quantum computing and, and AI computers are indeed going to be superior to us in cognitive efforts and think, you know, it's going to, we're going to be 
inferior and, and behind those trends of, of technology as opposed to always being ahead and saying, why is this stupid computer not working? Um, so I think for all of us, it's, it, we're going into a brave new world of, of technology being um, something that we are um, even further um, extracted from understanding how it works, why it works. And, and so chasing algorithms, like I want to rank better on Instagram, I want to rank better and hire consultants to get me higher up on search results and all that. I think that's a, a fool's errand at some point, because if you just do what you do, for instance, in your, your own postings, which are just be authentic, share your personal lives, what, what um, being um, uh, helpful to help that next person who's trying to make decisions around, say, in your case, facial plastic and re, um, um, aesthetic surgery treatments, um, more informed, that's the right thing to do is keep bringing education, but also differentiating why, why certain credentials and training matter. And so for somebody like yourself, telling a bunch of peers at a conference may be helpful, but telling the world on a, a podium that reaches millions is even more um, impactful and, and so forth. So, um, I, I ultimately don't know where we're going to end up as, as an industry, but I, I do see consumers still connect to those who they see as authoritative and, and those who, um, deliver great work and who are believable and trustworthy. And so and I think that's great advice. I mean, uh, you know, you, you can never go wrong by telling the truth and just doing the right thing. Right. So that, that's, that's it. Like, you know, what? I, yeah, I love talking you to can, your peers yeah. about this kind of thing as an example, which is how pragmatic a doc, a surgeon can be about. It doesn't always work out perfect. Here is a scenario where, you know, you have revision rates. There's, and the more practical and pragmatic a practice and not that Beverly Hills spin it, everything's perfect, you know, Instagram filtered. I think those, those that might work with Beverly Hills, but for a practice outside of that, I think it's about being the most truthful, honest, and high integrity um, actor. And, you, you know, you know, at Merck has a famous saying, not famous, an internal saying is like, with good science, profits will follow. And I think with great authenticity and truth, profits will follow to practices as well yeah well i uh i agree with you and i think uh, i think i'll end on that note but uh, folks i've been talking to tom uh siri who's the founder and ceo real self like i said earlier um this isn't you know tom is uh, his company is known internationally now internationally now it's not just in this country and he truly is i mean you guys uh, you're you're a household name um and it's very impressive what you've accomplished so um, I just want to thank you again, Tom. I hope you have an awesome evening. Wish you the best of success. And uh, I think uh, I'm going to see you in Las Vegas at the, uh, I think you're on the podium. Uh, so I'll uh, make sure we get a chance. To Would love that. Thank you for having me.